to uh, Galatians 5.22. We're going to start there. I'll be turning with you. Pastor Brian is bringing, has been bringing us a series out of Galatians and um, walking with the Spirit, and we are here now in Galatians 5.22 speaking on the fruit of the Spirit. And um, I have the privilege to be able to speak to you on that fruit of peace, okay? So hopefully you all have got a handout, and on the back of that handout, it has a definition and then the opposite of what peace is and then what the counterfeit might be of of that. But I want to read firstly, um, it's funny, you can see the words outside a whole lot better. Uh, I I think it's the light and the sun was right down on there. But um, So I have to put my glasses on, but if you look in uh, Galatians chapter 5, um, beginning in verse 22, I'm just going to read down to verse 24, and the Apostle Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I, I'm not going to re-preach any message that Pastor Brian has already preached on um, over the past several weeks, but I do want to remind us that these are the fruit of the Spirit, okay? And, it, and uh, it says the fruit, and so these are different aspects of what the Spirit produces in us when we walk with the Spirit. It's, um, many of you are familiar with John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will do what? Produce much fruit, right? Will bear much fruit. So we are fruit bearers. And so we cannot produce this in our own lives. We cannot, this, this love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, self-control, all of these things, we can't produce this in our own life. This is the work of the Holy Spirit within us as we faithfully obey and keep his commandments, God produces this fruit. That's why it's so amazing. That's why it's beyond comprehension, as Paul talks about in uh, Philippians chapter 4. So if you look at your, um, your, your little uh, outline that we have here of the definition, this is one definition, of course. When we look at peace, you know, the shalom in the Old Testament and Irene in the, in the uh, New Testament, it goes from Gen- the, the idea or the subject of peace goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And so to cover that entire thing, we, I, can, I can't do it in one time, but, or just have this one little definition. It doesn't necessarily do it justice, but I think it does encapsulate what we think of when we think of peace and what the Bible speaks of when it speaks of peace. And that is a confidence and rest in the wisdom and control of God rather than our own wisdom and control, right? So it's resting in God, in, in his presence, and understanding and knowing that God is with us, right? That's peace. That is a definition of peace. But then peace has its opposite, right? And we see here, um, you see their resentment toward God and toward others. That idea of being at enmity with God and with others, there's no peace in that, right? And so that's the opposite. And I, I would add also anxiety and worry, right? Because we're not resting in God and being confident 
in um, the wisdom and control of God when we're worrying, right? Who are, we, who are we thinking about there? Wisdom and control ourselves, right? So that would be the opposite. And then there's always a counterfeit, whether it's, the, it, whether it's Satan trying to counterfeit. He's always trying to counterfeit what God does. Or our, our, in our own lives, we're trying to produce a counterfeit. And we see their cynicism or lack of care. I would add to that apathy or indifference, right? It's that idea that if I just ignore it, if I just avoid it, then it'll go away, right? And that's, that's not peace. That's avoidance. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But I wanted to just kind of give a little bit of framework there. I want to ask, us a quest, uh, ask a question of us before we turn over to Romans uh, 5, and we'll do that in just a moment. I wanted to ask a question. When you hear the word peace, when, we, when you hear that word or when you think of the word peace, what comes to your mind? What do you think of? Do you think of world peace? You know, we want world peace. We want to end all wars. What about financial peace? I just want to have financial peace. I don't want to have any debt. I want financial peace. Those might be some of the things that you think. And I think these are good, and I think we need to be praying for these things and striving for these things. But was this what Jesus had in mind when he spoke about peace in the Gospels, do you think? I think they may have been part of what he was thinking about, and certainly not in the forefront of his mind when he spoke of peace. And, and in, in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And in that, in, in that context, Jesus is speaking to the, uh, the disciples, and he's telling them, I'm going away. I'm going away. And he's looking into the eyes of these, uh, of these disciples that he has been teaching, and he's grown close to, and they've built relationships, and they've come to know him. And he's looking into their eyes, and he's explaining to them that he's leaving them. And he saw their fear. And he saw their anxiety. And he saw their doubt. And he said, my peace I'm giving to you, not as the world gives. And of course, we know that he was giving the Spirit of God not to, to, to come and, and to dwell in their hearts. And Jesus was saying, this is even better than me being here. I'm going away because something better is coming. It's the Spirit of God that will not just be with you, but he'll be in you. That don't, you don't have to have anxiety because I'm going to dwell in you through my Spirit. So, so, so he's saying that, you know, I'm giving you my peace, not as the world gives. So I started thinking, okay, so what, is, what kind of peace does the world give? And am I guilty of trusting in, in some of that more than in the Spirit of God that he's given to us? So how does the world give peace? Well, I, as I was thinking, I said, well, the world gives peace through IRAs, uh, health insurance, armies. The world gives peace through safety nets in society, social security. The world gives peace in hundreds of different ways, many of which I am very thankful that exist, okay? I'm not saying they're bad or they're evil. But when we come to depend on these things as our, uh, for our peace, then that is not what Jesus is speaking about. That's not, that's not where Jesus tells us to find our peace. That was not what Jesus was giving to us and, or, or to his disciples and, then, and therefore to us peace when he said, my peace I give to you. It wasn't an IRA. <laughs> it wasn't health insurance. It was himself. 
that he was giving through the Spirit and as he was about to sacrifice himself. He says, I'm giving the kind of peace that doesn't go away when Social Security goes away, that won't go away when your candidate for president doesn't win the presidency, or when your child gets sick, or when your spouse dies. That's not the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a peace that's from God. He says, my peace. I know this because of what he says in John 16, 33. I've said these things to you, and he says it more clearly here. He says this, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, my beloved. I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus, that's the kind of peace that Jesus is giving, that only he can give. The peace that Jesus gives isn't circumstantially based. It's a peace in bad circumstances, in tribulations, in the absence of financial or physical security. It is the peace that passes all understanding. And it passes all understanding because it doesn't come from us. We can't produce it. It comes from God, folks, and he's God. <laughs> he's so much bigger than we are and so much greater and so much wiser and so much more sovereign. He's ultimately sovereign. We're not sovereign at all. And so that is the peace that passes understanding. So I want to talk about three dimensions or three aspects of the, the peace that we have that God offers to us through Christ Jesus. Peace with God, peace with others, and peace within ourselves. I'd like to speak about that um, this morning. If you, turn, if you would, turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 and verse 1. First of all, we, I want to talk about peace with God because this is where it all begins, right? We don't have peace in this world if we don't have peace with God. We need that peace with God. And in Romans, uh, so, so peace with God is a result of being justified through faith in Christ. Okay, it's, it doesn't come any other way. Peace with God does not come any other way. The only way that I have peace with God is being justified, right, through Jesus Christ, being made righteous, having my sins forgiven, however you want to, 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 to explain that. But that's the only way that I can find peace. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been justified, you're not guilty. Okay, that's what that word means. It's a, it's a courtroom term, and it means not guilty. So I've, I've been justified through Christ. He says, Therefore, since I've been justified by faith, believing in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it only comes through faith in Christ, being justified through faith in Christ, that peace. You know, when I was, before I became a Christian, before I was justified, um, I wanted peace. I remember distinctly um, in, in my life and saying this to others, if I just had peace, I just want to have peace. There was this angst in me, and I couldn't explain it. I couldn't put my finger on it. But it was God drawing me, and, and, and I didn't realize there was this wall that I had built up, right, that, that I actually was born with because I'm a sinner, but then I chose to sin. I chose to go against God, and I had this, there was this wall between God and I, and I didn't even know that, but I had this angst, and I searched everywhere. I went, I, you know, I, I joined the Navy. I thought, okay, I'll be a Navy SEAL. That's, that, that'll bring me peace. That'll, that'll clear things up right now. I know that's the opposite of peace, right? Some of you are laughing. Truly, I guess. But I was thinking, oh, that will bring me peace. Well, that was a fail. That didn't bring me any peace because I wasn't able to do that. 
right? And then, so I, I thought, well, maybe I'll make money. I'll get this job, I'll make money. That will, that, that'll bring me peace. No. Folks, I even went to church and did all the traditions and did everything that I was supposed to do, and yet no peace. And that's all I desperately wanted. And I believe that's some of you right now, that you desperately want peace, and you, you have this angst inside of you, and you don't, you're not even sure how to put your finger on it. The Bible tells us that we can't have peace unless we're justified um, through faith in Christ alone, unless Christ justifies us. And, and so here's what I found out, that all of us have sinned and alienated ourselves from God. Isaiah 59, in verses 1 and 2, says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face uh, have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear our sins have separated us from God they have caused us to be enemies of God and 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 because of that we cannot have this peace and instead of living the perfect lives required for enjoying fellowship with him each of us have a record stained with sin and therefore we're enemies of God we don't have peace with him Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as a result, we deserve to be eternally separated. Romans 6.23 says, And the wages of sin is death. But, um, and, and, and in Isaiah, Isaiah says twice, so, so we have sinned, and because of my sin, it separated me from God. And it's caused me to be enmity with him, and I can't have peace with God when I have sin in my life. And so Isaiah, twice he says in the book of Isaiah, there is no peace for the wicked. You've probably heard that before. There is no rest for the wicked. And my mom always used to say that to me. There's no rest for the wicked. No rest for the wicked. I never knew where that came from. It comes from Isaiah. And what Isaiah is trying to say there is those who are still stained with sin, those who are still in their sin, have no peace with God. They have no peace with God. Paul picks up on this same idea in Romans chapter 3, verse 17, and he's speaking about the unrighteous, and he says this, the way of peace they have not known. That was me. That was some of you, and maybe it is still some of you. The way of peace you don't know, because you don't have peace with God that only comes through his son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice on the cross. So folks, that's the bad news. <laughs> I started out with the bad news, so I can tell you the good news. The good news is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. By sacrificing himself in our place on the cross, Jesus has made it possible for us to have peace with God. The Apostle Paul says this in Colossians, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, that includes you and me, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by what? His blood on the cross. Jesus has made peace between man, sinner, and God because he sacrificed himself on the cross, shed his blood, and took upon himself the sin of the world. And now he wants to exchange his righteousness with all those who believe by faith that Jesus died for their sin. Believing in Jesus means more than just being baptized or going to church or trying to do, uh, be a good person. 
None of these activities can erase the sins you've already committed and will continue to commit throughout your life. Believing in Jesus means, first of all, admitting that you are a sinner and acknowledging that there's no way that you can earn God's approval by your good works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Second, it means believing that Jesus paid the full penalty for your sins when he died on the cross. So it means acknowledging that you're a sinner and your sin has separated you from God and then acknowledging that Jesus paid it all when he sacrificed himself on the cross and believing that. Peter says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might, di that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In essence, believing in Jesus means trusting that he exchanged records with you at Calvary. That is, he took your sinful record on himself and he paid it in full, and then he put to your account his righteousness. So he took your sin and he gave you his righteousness to your account. So when God sees you now, when you've trusted in Jesus, he doesn't see the sinner, the, the sin-stained life. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ and it's by Jesus' righteousness alone that we have the forgiveness of sins. As you believe in Jesus and accept his gracious gift of justification and draw closer to him through the power of the Holy Spirit, the study of his word, the privilege of prayer, and the fellowship of his church, his peace will fill every part of your life, sinner. <laughs> Promise you that. But you need to receive it. That's a gift that needs to be received today. And this gift of peace of reconciliation, I'm transitioning into the second point now, that we need to have peace with others, that, that Jesus, God has given us Jesus, and he has given us, through Jesus, we have this relationship with God, this, this peace with God, but also we, we have peace with others. The gift of uh, peace of reconcil or reconciliation with God made available for Christ, uh, through Christ, excuse me, places an ethical demand on the Christian to live in peace with others. Let me say that again. That this, this reconciliation that we have with God, this peace with God, it places an ethical demand on the Christian to live with peace with others. Pastor Brian said, said this about love um, last week, I think, or the week before. When he talked about, he said, you know what? When we recognize that we have God's love that, and, and nothing can separate us from the love of God, according to Romans 8, then what does that do? Remember, it frees us up to love everybody else, right? It's the same thing with peace. When we understand that we have the peace with God, that we have peace with God, that frees us up, and it really is an ethical demand on our life to then offer that same peace to everyone else. We are to be people of peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be what? Called the sons of God, right? And so these peacemakers are the sons of God, and we have this ethical demand on our lives as Christians then to extend that peace to others, right? That's why when you flip through uh, all of the New Testament, what are the greetings, the salutations? Peace be to you, right? Peace, peace, peace. Paul says it over and over. Peter says, J -J, everybody's talking about this peace. Why? 
because that is what we are called to now, to be with other believers and then with others all around us. And in fact, uh, peace as a fruit of the Spirit is to be the goal of the Christian dealing with others. That's our goal. That's how we deal with others. We want to be at peace with them. I'll talk about that in a second. So turn over to Ephesians. I'm sorry. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. And we see this is, a, this is um, because in addition to giving uh, us peace with God, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross opened the way for us to enjoy peace with other people. And we can read this here beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We just spoke about that for he himself is our peace he who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to god in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In this passage, um, uh, Jesus, who is our peace, has united the two most deeply separated categories of humanity in the history of the world, Jews and Gentiles. And so the argument is from the greater to the lesser. So, so if, if God, if Jesus through his blood can, can make this, these, these two opposites, these two uh, people who are at enmity with one another become one new one, then we ought to, as one, because we are one body in Christ, right, having, been, having that peace with God, be able to, to have peace, right, with one another, unity. And so when Paul is, I'm going to go a little off script here, but when Paul is talking about that wall of partition, that was built up. He's talking about the law of Moses there, right? And what, was, what, what had happened was the Jews had t taken that law that was supposed to be um, so precious in bringing uh, outsiders in because that's what they were supposed to be doing. The Jews were supposed to be there as, as a, a, a evangelists, really, saying, come, come, know our God. They built that wall up. They built that law up, and instead of being inviting to bring people in, it pushed people away, and it kept people out, and that wall was built up. And so the Gentiles weren't able to come in. They, didn't, they, were, they, weren't, they were unclean and all of those things. And so what Jesus did when he died on the cross, he destroyed that. He broke that down. He, de he, he destroyed it. Well, it's the same thing. When, we're, when we talk about peace, um, th this peace that we have in Christ, this unity that we have, I can use that word, this unity, it's, it's, it's that same thing. It's a demonstration of our love for one another that's supposed to be a picture to the world that we belong to Jesus. And it's supposed to attract uh, people who are outside of the body of Christ to say, what's going on with East Brandywine Baptist Church? They're so full of unity. They're so full of harmony. They're so full of love for one another. 
And so I think we need to ask, is that happening here? Is that happening in our own hearts? Are we seeking peace with one another? Is there unity at East Brandywine Baptist Church? Is there genuine harmony, understanding, and goodwill between people? You see, the problem is this. This is the problem because, you know, I just painted this the beautiful picture that this is who we ought to be, right? <laughs> this is who we ought to be. And aside from the Spirit of God, we, are, we cannot do that. We can't do that in our own strength, right? And, and what is the reason for that? Because sin still lives in us. This flesh that we live in, we, we struggle. And James says that perfectly. The source of our conflicts are our desires that wage war in our hearts. We lust and we don't have, so we commit murder. We're envious and we can't obtain, so we fight and we quarrel. That's what happens, right? But here's, this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. A peace comes, and I'm going to make this statement first, peace comes only when self dies. So the way that we maintain this harmony or this peace with one another, and even with others, is that it comes and it's maintained when self dies. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. Remember, he said, I'm giving you my peace. I'm giving you my spirit. Christ lives in me. Um, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And so it can be maintained, but it's maintained by, by faith, right? It's not by my works. I can try to be harmonious and and have as much unity in my home, at church, at my workplace. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it now. But but that's not how we do it. That's not how we maintain peace with others. We maintain peace with others by dying to self and trusting, putting our faith in the promises of God. And when we do that, he produces fruit. And we go, amen. Thank you, Lord, for producing this fruit in me. I don't even know where that came from. That joy, that peace, that love, whatever you want to talk about, it was because of, my, of the faith that I just placed in, in the promises of God, and God just produces that in our lives. And folks, we all know that this goes like this for us, right? We're like, oh, uh, you know, we're all over the place with that. But that is it in a nutshell. And you know what? I, I talked about that we have this, we have this obligation because we, we are Christians. We, are, we have this peace with God. The Bible plays that out. God calls us to do all we can to live at peace with everyone. Romans 12, 18, if, if possible, so far as, it is to, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Um, again, Paul says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. He's, he, further, the, the writer of Hebrews says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we do. So you're saying, well, I thought you just said, Pastor Joe, that the Spirit produces this in us. What are you talking about, striving? Well, yeah. I mean, this is called sanctification, right? We just don't sit back and go, all right, Jesus, take the wheel. I know that's a popular song, <laughs> okay? But that's not, we, we actually take part in our, in our sanctification, right? God is working these things out in us as we work out our sanctification. He is working these things out. We strive, but we understand and we recognize that it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us that that this fruit of peace is produced. And so what Jesus calls us is peacemakers. 
Now, I just want to draw a difference between peacemaker and peacekeeper, okay? I want us to understand something here, because we're called to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they, sh- for they shall be called the sons of God. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a son of God, and therefore you have an obligation to be a peacemaker. The difference between peacemaker and peacekeeper, real simply, is a peacekeeper will avoid confrontation. I'm not, yeah, peacekeeper, I was getting confused myself. A peacekeeper will avoid confrontation, right? Do anything. I'll, in fact, I have some, some just few characteristics that you can kind of play around in your mind with. Peacekeepers believe, at peace, be, believe in peace at any cost, right? They, they want peace at any cost. It doesn't matter. A peacekeeper will walk on eggshells so not to upset anyone. Oh, I, don't want, I, don't want, I won't say that. I, I know that's wrong. I, I probably should say something, but I'm not going to say something because if I do, oh, it's going to be, I'm, it's just going to be a mess, right? A peacekeeper will just walk on eggshells. I just want to keep everyone happy. want to keep everything um, going copacetic. Peacekeepers hide their true feelings to prevent arguments. How frustrating. What kind of peace is that? I mean, we should be able, I mean, within reason, be able to talk, speak truth in love, <laughs> to one another, right? And the fourth one, uh, peacekeepers work to avoid uh, and prevent conflict. They want to avoid conflict. They want to prevent it at any cost. So that's a peacekeeper. So we're called peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And not, peacekeeping isn't all bad, uh, you know, but, uh, but, if, but we are called to peacemaking, and there's a difference. Peacemaking, it walks into conflict, um, doesn't love conflict, don't, don't, don't get me wrong, it's not like, oh, I can't wait to have some conflict today so I can be a peacemaker, they, but they won't avoid it. They, they will approach it in a, in a prayerfully and carefully and wisely uh, because that is what we're called to, trusting in God, right? That God will work it out, sharing the truth in love. And just three things a peace make, that a peacemaker looks like, they overlook. And you might say, well, isn't that kind of a characteristic of a peacekeeper? No. What, what I mean by that is they don't major on the minors. So if there's something going on in, in life here or there, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna over, I, I may be able to overlook that so that there doesn't necessarily have to be this big confrontation because it might be something that doesn't matter. First Peter 4.8, Peter says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, uh, since love covers a multitude of sins, right? There might just be something that, you know what, I don't need to confront, right? And we have to ask the Lord that. But a, but a peacemaker, they, they are big enough, they're mature enough in the Lord, and they're trusting in the Lord enough to not make a big deal out of everything. So they overlook. But they don't just overlook. They also talk. They also approach it. They also move towards conflict, right? And we see this in Matthew 18, 15, where we We'd, we'd say this is church discipline, but I would just say this is, no, this is how we deal with one another. This is how we deal with conflict. And so Matthew 18, 15, um, uh, it says this, Jesus says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, listen to this, you've gained your brother. That's peace key, that's peacemaking, <laughs> right? You've gained your brother, right? Because you could, I mean, think about your own lives. Think about how you've been offended before. And maybe there are things that you've overlooked, but maybe there are things that you've avoided. I'm not going to go there, because if I go there, and especially with family, if you have a family like mine, hopefully they're not listening. If they are, I love you all, but 
We, we would avoid things, right? We'd just avoid stuff rather than, hey, let's talk. I want to win you. I, w- I want that relationship. I want peace to be within that relationship. I want it so badly, I'm willing to, I'm willing to be vulnerable. I'm willing to say I'm wrong. I'm willing to ask for forgiveness and, and, and maybe take the, the beating that <laughs> I deserve because this is, what's, this is what is needed but then that doesn't always work, right? Because it doesn't always listen. So a peacekeeper then well, isn't, isn't uh, um, pr- too proud to ask for help. And we see that again in Matthew 18, 16. He says, but if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, so a peacemaker, folks, just moves towards that. And he moves t- towards that conflict that might be c- happening with wisdom and grace and faith in God. So how do you think pursuing this kind of peace will change your homes, your marriages, your neighborhoods, your workplaces, our church? Deep and lasting peace within marriages, families, communities will never be found in the peace that the world offers. That's just peacekeeping. That's avoiding. Deep inner peace is only to be found where there is spiritual dependence upon the crucified Christ. The peace of Christ offer, that Christ offers isn't just an absence of conflict. It's a positive harmony empowered within us by the spirit of the divine Prince of Peace. So this brings me to our third and final uh, dimension of, of peace, that fruit, uh, uh, peace that God offers us through Christ and that is peace within ourselves. Through Jesus, you can experience genuine peace within yourself. Turn over to um, 1 John chapter 3. This is my last point, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together and remember him and his sacrifice. But 1 John 3, verses 21 through 24, I want us to see this, and, and hopefully you've picked up on this already, because... Um, when we have peace with God and we are seeking peace with others, what does that, what does that bring up in your, your mind? Loving God, loving others. Where have, we, where have we seen that? That's the great commandment, right? <laughs> and so when, we, when we're loving God and when we're loving others, folks, we can expect to have peace in our hearts, deep inner peace, because we're obeying God. And if we're not, and we're not obeying God, if we're not obeying his commandments, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If we're not doing that, if we're not striving for that, if we're not going, we're not going to do it perfectly because we're sinners, but if we're not striving for that, then how can we ever expect to have deep inner peace? We'll have conflict. Hopefully you will, if your conscience and your heart is, is alive and working. First uh, John 3, verse 24, excuse me, 21 through 24. I want to read these. Beloved. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what, he, what pleases him. And this is his commandment. We believe in the name of the son, his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Internal peace is a sense of wholeness, 
contentment, tranquility, order, rest, and security. Although nearly everyone longs for this kind of peace, it eludes most of us, doesn't it? Genuine internal peace cannot be directly obtained through our own efforts. It's a gift that God gives only to those who believe in his son and obey his commandments. That's what we were just speaking about for the last 25 minutes. In other words, internal peace is is a byproduct of righteousness, right? The just or the righteous shall live by what? Faith. So so when we're believing... um, we're believing that Jesus died for our sins. That's faith. When we're, when we're seeking peace, when in, in the midst of conflict, we're, we're walking towards it. We're not avoiding it or running away from it. We're exercising faith in the promises of God. And when we exercise that faith and when we obey his commands to the best of our ability, God gives us and he grants us this peace. Listen to Isaiah 26.3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. Listen to Isaiah 32, 17. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. I'll say that again. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. I don't know about you, but I want quietness and confidence forever. And there's an already, not yet aspect to this peace as well, right? Because we're looking for that eternal rest when, when, when the kingdom comes and there's no more sin and there's no more tears and we're looking forward to that. But we can have that peace that passes understanding. The peace, we're ta- I'm talking about the peace of God, of God, not with God, but of God that passes all understanding. We can have that today. Listen to Hebrews. Um, the writer of Hebrews says, for, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Internal peace comes only from being reconciled to God through his son, receiving his righteousness and the power to resist sin, and then obeying what he commands. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. Beloved, you may be desiring inner peace right now, but you're far from God. You may be going through the motions of keeping the peace, but you're, you're not trusting God and pursuing peace. And you're wondering why that knot, that angst in your, in your tummy is, is all knotted up. Could it be that you've never trusted in the Son of God for the forgiveness of your sins? I pray that that would be your, what you would do today, that you would indeed trust in the Son of God and believer. Maybe inner peace escapes you because you're bitter or unwilling or avoiding uh, confrontation. Rather than being a peacemaker, you're a peacekeeper and, and you don't have any peace. And you're unwilling to forgive others as God has commanded you. Will you trust God today? Will you put your trust in him? Will you, will you exercise your faith and receive the fruit of the Spirit, peace? Take him at his word and allow him to keep you in perfect peace no matter what the circumstances are around you. I hope that you will today. We're about to partake in the Lord's table and this is a great opportunity to remember and to thank God for the peace that he has brought to us with himself, with one another, 
and deep within our hearts through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can have peace with you through your son, Jesus Christ. The peace that passes understanding, Lord. And that, Father, you also, by your spirit, give us the strength and, and literally command us to have peace with one another. Lord, I pray that we would pursue that today. Help us not to be fearful. Help us not to be apathetic about that or to avoid it. But, Lord, I pray we would pursue it. And, Lord, I pray that we would see our homes and we would see our workplaces and we would see our communities and our church changed because, Father, we are exercising faith in your promise to give us peace as we honor and obey you Lord, and um, you give us your righteousness, and your righteousness is produced in us through your Spirit, and we are able to experience that peace. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he says, um, those who labor and are heavy laden to come unto him, that he will give us rest for our souls, that peace, that rest, that shalom, that irene that we see in the scriptures. And so, Lord, help us to confidently trust in Christ, no matter what's going on in our lives, that you would be glorified. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to have the elders come forward as our, our um, worship team sings another song for us. We'll sing that song, and the elders are going to distribute the, uh, the elements to us. Now, you're going to notice these elements are a little bit different this morning. Um, these elements have been uh, our... 